we live in a day and age when it is hip and cool and current to be spiritual, is it not? And yet many seekers feel a swim in a sea of spiritual ideas and notions. And so perhaps you're here tonight and you're wondering just this very thing. Where am I going spiritually? Uh, Where do I really stand? Where is all this spirituality leading to? And the good news is that in the Bible, in the Word of God, there is in fact a test by which we can locate our own spiritual condition. It's found in a story that Jesus told. It's often called the parable of the sower. Actually, it focuses not so much on the sower as on the soils where the sower planted the seed. And it describes four different types of people, four different responses to God and to his word. And I'm going to call them tonight by different letters, which will make sense as we go along. H, I, P, and R. And all of us, we will find, fall into one of these four categories. So, would you turn with me tonight to Matthew's Gospel. Matthew's Gospel and chapter 13 for our reading. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, part of the Bible, the second half. And it's on page 978 if you're using one of the Red Pew Bibles. The story of the sower, the seed, and the soils. Verse 1, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered round him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. And then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. And the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. And verse 18 for the explanation to this. Listen then, Jesus is speaking now just to his disciples in private. Listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message of the kingdom... And does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on the rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, 
But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Now, this is the, the word of God. Now, the focus of this parable, the focus, as we've said, is the four soils. But in order to understand the differences between the soils, we do need to come to terms with both the sower and the seed that the sower sows. We really need to ask, who is the sower and what is the seed? Well, verse 3 says, very simply, that the sower is a farmer. It's a very common occupation in Israel, which is a, an agricultural society in these days. And so we might ask, well, is Jesus just speaking of any farmer? Is this just a general picture of some farmer sowing seed somewhere? Well, I suggest, and uh, you can conclude for yourself, that there is more going on here than that. Because in verse 37, in one of the following parables, Jesus says that the one who sowed the seed is the Son of Man. One of the titles that Jesus used to describe himself. And it therefore suggests that Matthew probably has in view here that the sower of the seed is Jesus himself. And it really fits with the context because what is Jesus doing in this very occasion? He's sitting in the boat. There's a large crowd there, hundreds, perhaps thousands. And what is he doing? He's teaching them. He's sowing the seed, so to speak. And yet as one writer suggests, and I think this is helpful, this parable is both history and prophecy. It tells of Christ's own experience. That Jesus is the sower, but it foretells his servants. You see, the rest of the New Testament also says that the servants of Christ who speak of Christ are sowers too. And that's why the Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3.16, describes his evangelism in Corinth in this way. He says, I planted the seed. He said, I am a seed planter. And whenever a follower of Jesus shares the good news about Jesus, there's a sense in which he's a sower as well. Jesus is still sowing today, but he is doing it through his church. So the Son of Man is the sower primarily, and the servants of Christ sow on his behalf derivatively. Now, what is the seed? What is the seed? Look at verses 20, 21, 22, and 23. In each of these verses, you'll notice that the seed is mentioned, but the seed is equated with something. And the seed, you will see, is in parallel with what? In each verse, the word. The word is the seed. The seed is the word. So the seed is a message. The seed is a proclamation. It is, says Jesus specifically in verse 19, the message of the kingdom. That's what the seed is. 
And you need to understand that when Jesus proclaimed the message of the kingdom, he wasn't proclaiming the merits of a place. You know, like these holiday advertisements that say, come visit the United Kingdom. It's a wonderful place. It's not the kind of kingdom Jesus was speaking of. When Jesus proclaimed the kingdom message, he was proclaiming primarily that the king had come. That's what made Jesus such a controversial figure. He went around proclaiming that the kingdom had come and that he was God's king. And so when you preach the message of the kingdom today, you speak about Jesus. You say God sent Jesus his son. You say that he lived for 33 years. You say that he taught people and he healed people. And eventually he went to a cross and he died on the cross for sins. And then on the third day, he rose again from the dead. And one day, he's coming back again to be king. Turn, bow your knee, believe in the king. And that is the message that every Christian, every believer, if you're a Christian tonight, has to broadcast. We have such a responsibility laid upon us. Now, I wish I had a whole sermon to speak about the seed, but we don't have enough time. But if I was giving another sermon on the seed, there's a couple of points I'd want to bring out. And I'm just going to leave them with you in short form and you can think about them. First of all, I would tell you that we see in this text that there is no substitute for seed. All this farmer sows is seed. Nothing else. Peter says in his first epistle... You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed, through the living and enduring word of God. That's how lasting, life-giving produce comes, through the word. And if you plant something else down there, if you go out tomorrow and plant a little bit of grass somewhere in the meadows, you can water it. You can cultivate it. You can give it all the sun that God sends. You can jump around it. Nothing will happen. Because only the seed produces. And we would also see a second thing. That there is little skill in seed throwing. Because verse 4 simply says that as he was scattering the seed. You mean he didn't try different seed throwing techniques? You mean he didn't research the demographics of the field and figure out the best places to target the seed? You mean he had such confidence in the power of the seed that he just scattered it everywhere in an almost artless and wasteful way, it seems? Yes, he did. Makes me wonder if one of the reasons why Christians can be hung up on evangelistic techniques over-dependent, over-precise, is because we've lost confidence in the power of the seed. We think it takes a lot of human skill to share the gospel with someone. We don't really believe what Paul said in Romans. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the word, power of God. For salvation. The power is in the word. Well that's another sermon. 
In the remainder then, what about the soils? There are four soils in this text. And each one of us here, each one of us falls into one of these categories. Every time someone preaches a sermon, any time someone shares the gospel, one of these four things happens. It's absolutely relevant to each one of us. So here's the first letter, H, and H stands for hardened. Verse 3 says, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. Now in these days, uh, there were no fences around the fields in Palestine. And so the fields in Palestine were, were separated by pathways. And these paths, about three feet wide or so, would not only run around the field, but very often they would cross through the middle of the field. And in these days when everyone walked everywhere, uh, people would circumnavigate the fields by the paths, and they would even walk through the fields en route to wherever they were going. Indeed, if you uh, look back in chapter 12, Jesus, in a, a story a couple of verses earlier, is walking with his disciples through a cornfield doing this very kind of thing. And therefore, you can just imagine what happened to the path soil. This soil soon became different to the soil around it. It became compressed. It became packed down. And eventually, the farmer would just stop cultivating this area. What was the point? Until eventually, under the treading of feet and under the baking hot sun, it would become rock hard. Like stone pavement. And so Jesus interprets this in verse 19. When anyone hears the message of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. Now notice the three stages in this. Firstly, this person hears the message of the kingdom. This person is a hearer of the gospel. This is not somebody who has never heard the message of Christ. It may be that this person has heard the gospel on countless occasions. Nevertheless, on every occasion, second stage, he, she does not understand it. The seed doesn't penetrate the soil. It just lies loose on the surface. And I've heard some people say, you know, This is okay because the seed might just lie around there and later on, maybe it'll germinate. But that's not what the parable says because when the word is not grasped, it doesn't remain on the surface. The evil one snatches away the seed. Birds come and do what they do. Eat up the seed. And you know, this explains a lot, does it not? Maybe in fact... This explains your experience, personally. Because perhaps you have heard sermon after sermon after sermon. Maybe you could get up here tonight and preach the sermon. Maybe you've done Alpha course, and then Christianity Explored course, twice. And you've read the New Testament through. And you've had long chats with your Christian friends. And you've asked lots and lots of questions. Or maybe you've grown up in a Christian home and you have heard it until your head hurts. But here's the reality. Your heart is still rock hard. 
And the word bounces off like a bullet from armored plating. And you know, the scary thing is that when that happens, over a long period of time, the heart gets harder and harder and harder. Like that pavement beside the field, as more and more people walk in it, as the sun beats down on it day after day after day, the longer you resist, the more resistant you become. And you know, it really takes the power of God, the power of God to break a heart like that open. And you know, God made a wonderful promise in the Old Testament part of the Bible. God spoke of his transforming power, something that would happen in our day in the lives of those with hard hearts. He said this in Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit in you. And I will remove from you your heart of stone. And give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you. So maybe you're an H. An H at the moment. But you don't need to stay that way. So the first soil is the hardened soil. But maybe that's not you at all. And therefore there's a second type of soil. We might call it I. For impulsive. Because some seed, verse 5, fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. And sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched. And they withered because they had no root. Now again, a little bit of knowledge is helpful here. Palestine is very much a limestone country. And therefore, often beneath the surface... Not very far down, but you wouldn't see it from, with the naked eye. There would be a bedrock of limestone. And the problem with this kind of soil was that the seed would have no space to grow down. To put its roots down. The only way to go was up. And moreover, with only a small gap between the bedrock and the topsoil, it would get really warm in there. And therefore, with all this heat and this little depth, the plant would spring up extra quick. And yet Jesus says, verse 20, The one who received the seed that fell in rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. And we need to be very clear what the difficulty is with this soil. The problem is not that the plant springs up quickly. As if that's always a bad thing. The problem is that the soil is shallow. Or as Jesus puts it, this person has no root. It's not that they respond immediately. It's that they respond immediately to everything. It's a shallow impulse. And so the latest food fads and the the latest books and the latest spiritual notions... You name the bandwagon, they're on it. And the problem is that as quickly as they jump on, they jump off. And by the way, everyone in the church thinks this person's a Christian. Because in fact, this is the one they're all talking about, because they jump higher than everyone else. And everyone says, what a wonderful testimony. 
And they go the whole way straight away. Membership, baptism, service, really plugged in. And six months later, they're nowhere to be seen. And again, maybe this describes you, if you're honest. Maybe you've come to Christ, or you think you have. And if you're honest, you didn't put much thought into it at all. You never counted the cost of following Christ. You never came to Christ in humility. You simply jumped up and said, I'll believe. And you said, quote unquote, I'll give Christianity a try. See how it goes. And now that the superficial excitement is wearing off, you're thinking of jumping ship. Jesus wants to deepen your soil. And maybe he wants you to experience some tears of repentance. He wants you to go down so that you can experience the joy. God can do that. He has a a track record of taking shallow people and making them deep people. He can take Peters of this world who jump up and say, Lord, I'll die for you and deny him three times. He can take Peters and he can plow them deep. So maybe you're an I impulsive. Maybe you're an H hardened. Or maybe, thirdly, you are a D distracted. Or the seed, verse 7, fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. And this is a third and different kind of problem altogether. This is not hard soil. That's not the difficulty. This soil has a soft surface. The seed goes in. And this is not a shallow soil either. Actually, there's some room, at least initially, for the roots to go down. It looks like it's good soil to the farmer. But the trouble lies deep within the soil, where Jesus says there lies some other elements. Weed roots. And these roots soon spring to life, and it is deadly for the seed. You see, the weed is natural to the soil, but the seed is a foreign element. And I don't know a lot about gardening, but as far as I know, that's not good for the seed. Because the natural element will crowd out the foreign component. And look at how Jesus interprets it in verse 22. The one who received the word that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, and here's what happens, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it. Making it unfruitful. Jesus says there are two things which kill off spiritual life in a person. Two weeds. One, the worries of this life. Or as some translations put it, worldly cares. Now these uh, aren't very dramatic things. These are just the concerns of the day. In our youth, it's our educational goals. Some of you starting a new academic year. Big goals. Ahead of you. Or it might be finding a partner. Or it might be pursuing a sport. In middle age, it's a little different. Perhaps you're committed to your spouse, your family, financial security, success in the workplace. And then in older age... Different kinds of concerns. Maybe you're preoccupied with health 
or with the garden or with grandchildren or the next holiday. Thousand and one possibilities. And none are bad in themselves. But you see, the problem with this soil is that the weeds grow up to such a prominence that they choke the seed to death. This person is so distracted by some or several of these cares that they don't have the time, nor the focus, nor the commitment for God's word. I'm just going to pick on young people here because uh, I know you'll forgive me. Uh, I've had some young people admit to me, you know, that in services, they're joking but serious about this, uh, that in services they spend quite a bit of time uh, checking out the talent. Now, if you don't know what that means, then come and chat with me afterwards. Uh, But they say, you know, I'm extremely preoccupied. What a good looking people around Charlotte Chapel. I'm not criticizing, but let me say this. Seriously, even a preoccupation with something like that, maybe you think that's rather trivial. But anything that keeps you from giving God the worship he deserves... The service he deserves, the glory he deserves, is a deadly distraction. It's a weed that needs to be rooted out. Because you see, what happens is people say, just let me get my career sorted first. Just let me build up my business first. Just let me get that marriage partner sorted out first. But listen, in every stage of life, there's always going to be something else to put first. Not least money. It's probably no accident that the deceitfulness of wealth comes next to worldly cares. Because it's a very specific and potent distraction. That's why Jesus was so blunt about wealth that you cannot serve both God and money. That's why he said, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. And you know, this is a very serious thing. Let me say this as seriously as I can. Some scholars have suggested that perhaps soils two and three uh, at least have some life. Because there's some growth in the plants before they wither. So maybe they say, this is a believer, a Christian who is faltering. It's not that much to worry about. But I suggest to you that that's a wrong interpretation. Because the bottom line is here that in all three cases, there is something the same that is lacking in every case. What is it? Fruit. And what happens to plants that never bear fruit? What does the farmer do with a plant that year after year after year has no yield? Cuts it down. How many of us think that spirituality is just a a novel thing? It's a bit of a game. Well, I'm glad to say that there's a fourth soil. We had the hardened soil. We had the impulsive soil, the distracted soil. None of them bore fruit, but now, thank God, our receptive soil This is where God wants us all to be. Verse 8, still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a good crop. A hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. 
Verse 23, explanation. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Now this is very rich soil. Just waiting to be tapped. Because notice that this soil has none of the problems associated with the others. It's not hard, but soft. It's not shallow, but deep. It's not thorny, but clean. And therefore the seed embeds, the root goes down, the plant grows up, and the fruit comes forth. And the harvest is abundant. And this is Jesus as a picture of every true believer. People of faith, people of faith are fruit bearers. What does he have in mind specifically? Probably the fruit of character. The fruit of the spirit that we read about in Galatians chapter 5. There is a love and a joy and a patience and a self-control about this person that marks them out as different. Now, it's not to say that every Christian is as fruitful as every other believer, because notice the first observation on this, that there are different degrees of fruitfulness. There is 30, there is 60, and there is a hundredfold yield. You're going to get some a hundredfold Christians who are enormously fruitful in their lives. Their godly lives are going to be written up in biographies, and their exploits for the gospel, for the poor, are going to be heralded as examples to other Christians. And praise God for such a hundredfold Christians. But there are also going to be some believers who will never reach those heights. They're going to be a 60 or they're going to be a 30. But notice this second thing. There is always an abundance of fruit. You see, even the 30-fold return was above average, way above average. 34 was about three times the normal yield for grain. If you were getting 7.5 or 10, you were doing pretty well. So this wouldn't be a case of, you know, searching around, trying to find fruit somewhere, checking under leaves. Even the least fruitful Christian is obviously fruitful. Now there's a challenge. It's coming to us every week in the book of James that we're studying. Are we fruitful? Is our faith working itself out? And it's not that God is looking for perfection, but he is looking for production. If his spirit is within us, there should be some fruit coming forth. So I wonder, are you you good soil? I imagine that some of you here, many of you here perhaps, could say that humbly, by the grace of God and the spirit of God and the gospel of God, thank God, There's a receptiveness in your heart. And you're you're a changed person. You're not the person that you used to be. Now we're almost through. Earlier we were talking about personality tests. As someone has said that by the time you're 40, you've got the face you deserve. You know, you've heard that. And uh, I've also read someone say that by the time you're 40, you've got the character you deserve too. You know, character is a very fixed thing, really. How often have you tried to turn over a new leaf and three weeks later you're back to the same old ways? And so maybe uh, 
I'm apparently a mildly introvert person. Maybe I could try and be a little more extrovert. You know, just come at my shell. But I can't radically change my personality, can I? But you know, the good news tonight is, with the spirituality test, the good news is that whatever letter you are, if you are an H-hardened, an I-impulsive, or a D-distracted, that can change tonight. And the reason that I say this is because, in verse 9, Jesus says to these different hearers, these different types of soils, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He assumes that these people have both the responsibility and the possibility of receiving the seed of the word. So, will you be an R tonight? Is that how you will leave? Receptive to the word of God. See, that's the missing piece for some of you here, perhaps. I hardly need to even tell you the gospel. You already know it. You understand that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You know you've got to turn around and repent, trust him. You're just never receptive. Well, Jesus cast the seed out tonight. And he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. May it be that there is receptive soil in our hearts and each one of our hearts. Let's pray. Oh, Father, don't let the devil snatch away this word. Plow deep into our hearts. Break open hard hearts. Weed out thorny hearts. Deepen shallow hearts. And make our hearts, our lives, good soil for the seed of your word, which alone has the power to change and save. And may your church, may those of us here who know you, may we have confidence in the seed that we scatter. We pray this in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen.